Oh, that's not the right song. Let's try that again. Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello everybody, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast for another week proudly sponsored by Subway. Get your mid-match feast delivered fresh, Subway eat fresh. Matt Walsh, Jake Michaels and Christian Jolly from Champion Data here to break down an epic weekend of finals action and look forward to two crunch semis. We're going to talk pressure, we're going to talk tagging, we're going to talk the possibility of straight sets and a whole lot more. Jake, before we do, and before we look at something you noticed from the weekend, Birdsville. Uh, you took a very special assignment for ESPN up there and uh, went up to probably as close to the middle of nowhere in Australia as you can get for the Birdsville races. Yes, it was uh, the most unique place I've ever been in the world and certainly the most unique place I've ever been for uh, for a work assignment. Um, yeah, just middle of nowhere is right. One pub. One pub, one bakery serving Camel pies. Yep. Uh, wasn't game enough to try one. Camel pies sounds like what comes out the back of a camel. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a police station. And that's it. And and it's a town of 115 people. You can barely call it a town. And it's just red dirt as far as the eye can see. So what happens on the weekend? How many people flock to this place to watch a few horse races? So it's about... It's give or take sort of somewhere between seven and 10,000 people go there and they, they come from all over the country, pack in four-wheel drives, uh, make the trip out there. It's I think it's 1,600 k's from Brisbane and about 1,200 from Adelaide. So Adelaide's the closest capital city to to uh, to Birdsville. Um, but yeah, it's right on, the, right on the edge of the Simpson Desert and very, uh, very remote. Just it's uh, for someone like myself who's grown up um, in the city all my life, it's very confronting when you're in a place like that. And, I, and to be completely honest, it was it was very overwhelming. But uh, it was a it was a very unique experience. And um, if there is crossover from our loyal AFL listeners to some Birdsville horse Give racing fans, stay tuned. Give us a week or two, and we'll have some nice content uh, on ESPN.com.au. Very good. Uh, something you noticed from the weekend, though, because I know that you were you were scrambling to get reception to try and watch the footy. Oh, it wasn't it was- on at the pub. Wasn't on at the pub, uh, no. Even even on the Thursday night when Brisbane were playing, I thought they might have put it on, the but Queen's they didn't. Connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they didn't put it on. Um, so I was uh, having to use uh, one of my colleagues' uh, hotspots and then streaming it on my um, through Ko on my laptop. It was just a bit grim, but yeah, oh, what what a great round. I mean, it's just. What more can you say? It was it was epic. The so Rowan Connolly, who writes for ESPN.com.au, uh, was sort of trying to work out if it's the best round of finals that he can remember, and he thinks that there was one uh, round of finals in 1994. Um, it was the, the the round where trust him to trust him to, to remember something like that. It was yeah. it was the round I think um, Billy Brownless kicked the guy off the side. Though Billy, you're king of king Geelong. Of Geelong that, yeah. that that call. Um, I think the the Blues, who were hot favourites in whatever final they were in, got overdone by a, a team that was ranked far below them. Mm. Um, there are a couple of other games in that round as well, but he reckons that that's the only round that possibly shades this one for for just pure content, for storylines, for moments, for results, for margins, the whole lot. Yeah, and even the game that we thought, oh, this one's going to blow out, ended up being just a, well, whether you want to call it a remarkable comeback or an all-time choke or both. Uh, yeah, it, it was just an awesome, awesome slate of games. And yeah, you know what's you know what's sad though? We've got five games left. Just yeah, five. That's it. crazy, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Just it to is think sad. We, uh, we, we started early March and it's just gone all the way through and, and finals are just on our doorstep now. Anyway, yeah. something you noticed from the uh, the weekend of action? Well, um, we kind of touched on the Gary Ayres Award last year. It's one of these 
it, it should be a really prestigious award, best player of finals. That's that, in, in US sport. That's like a really big deal. If you if you're the best player in a final series, mm. that is one of the best awards you can win. But here it's kind of a secondary award, and I I put my hand up before I said we were talking about last year's winner. I said oh, who won? I didn't even know who won it last year. So it's not something that we kind of hold in as high esteem as we probably should. But because was, of the way the method of how, how we get there. Yeah, because we know some some teams will play three and some teams may potentially play four games. So then you have more chances of, of polling votes and mm-hmm. then overtaking someone who's only played Whereas three. If, so, if you counter to a prelim and then went through to a yes. grand final and then play the grand final, you might not get as much of an opportunity to shine despite maybe being the best player in the, in the final series. Exactly. So for those that aren't quite sure how it's done, it's similar to the coaches' votes where there's two sets of five, four, three, two, ones. Um, but the thing I noticed, and I know I've always knocked Gary Rowan, and listeners will know that he's not—he's—he's he's been a bit of a whipping boy for me over the years. He was good. I'm not saying he wasn't good, but was he the best player on the ground? He was given the nine of the ten votes, and Jeremy Cameron, who I thought was probably the best player on the ground, got one. One. Yeah. In what world was Jeremy Cameron? Well, I, let I, me let me rephrase that. In what world was Gary Rowan the best player on the ground? I, I can see the logic. The logic would be that Gary Rowan was a match winner in the time when his club needed him. Uh, he take, takes the clutch mark, 50 out, kicks a, a goal from 55, and, and all of a sudden the Cats are a lot more likely to win. And, and he, he ends up handing, well, through um, you know a, a strange sort of error, really, of dropping the mark. But he handballs to, I think it was Mac, Max Holmes, who mm. kicks the winning goal as well. So he was involved in the match-winning plays. He was, and I'm not saying that he wasn't great. He, he played... Certainly, his best final that that he's played, and he has been, you know, much maligned for his effort in September. Mm. But yeah, just not quite sure. And I've always heard people say, "Oh, the Brownlow doesn't mean anything because the umpires shouldn't be voting." Well, I sort of throw it back at you and say, some of the some of the votes that we've seen over the first weekend of finals, maybe the coaches don't know what well, they're doing either. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. One of those coaches didn't think Jeremy Cameron was in the best five players, which is embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, I can't understand that. I can't understand that logic of not having him in the top five players. And the yeah. other one thought he was the fifth best player. Mm. So, yeah, maybe the coaches... The coaches and the umpires are the two sets of people that have the most to do during a game, aside from the players. Why are they the ones that then have to worry about giving votes as well? Something to ponder. Christian, something from the weekend that took your fancy. Yeah, well, we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about the AFL finals and how good they were. But, yeah, just bring it down to the lower level. VFL uh, finals are also going on. They're hitting their prelim week this week. And... This probably goes back to when we first started the podcast. I was asking you guys, I think we started in 2018. I remember probably one of our first few topics that I was asked to look at was the death of Queensland footy. Mm. I think Brisbane and Gold Coast were both sort of anchored to the bottom of the ladder and not a lot of light for them ahead of the, at the end of the tunnel. But this weekend, uh, coming up in the VFL, we've got three of the four preliminary finalists, all from Queensland. So the three Queensland clubs that have joined the VFL this year, Southport, Gold Coast and Brisbane, have all made a prelim. Uh, Casey finished on top, the Melbourne Reserve, so they'll play Brisbane in one of the finals. But yeah, we could see an all-Queensland VFL grand final. So get your head around that one. Interesting, isn't it? And we were looking up you know, whether it would be played at Metricon or potentially at the Gabba if there was enough interest and, and the, the seedings worked out. But Take it down to GMHBA. Well, yeah, just, already it's almost it about that. Yeah, well, they've locked it into Icon Park. So they locked it in about late yeah. August, um, announced that Icon Park would host the VFL grand final. Um, 
as I said, I think we're two weeks out from the grand final. It doesn't look like they're going to change it if two Queensland teams make it. Mm, interesting. interesting. Uh, something from the Saturday evening match uh, over in Perth. Dogs got out to a, a blistering start, really strong start. and They did. Uh, pr- look, honestly, pretty poor stuff for them just to be unable to uh, arrest Fremantle's run of play and, and, and put the game beyond doubt, which is probably what the good teams do in finals. And, you know, elimination finals, they're not quite qualifying finals, so we get it. Um, but... If you're 41 points up early in the second term, we've seen this year how many times teams have been able to come back from deficits that were, you know, more than what you would expect be, to be one that would be, you know, manageable in previous years. And so when the dogs were, you know, 40 odd points up, there was this moment where um, some players were sort of, you know, there's a bit of a fracas on the on the forward flank, and I'm pretty sure it was Zane Cordy who was, you know, having a chat to one of the Frio blokes, and then just points towards the scoreboard really briefly, and I like. Instant regret. And I wasn't sure if well, I wasn't sure. I was like, maybe he's, he's pointing at something else. And and then I was I was sort of you know going through some um, some content from other outlets and stuff over the weekend just because you know can't get enough footy. Uh, and and someone else pointed this out as well. And I thought, yeah, that's definitely what's happened. Is he said, mate, look at the scoreboard. Um, halfway through the second term. So I, I yeah. So halfway, I didn't see that one. That's a good something you noticed. Yeah. I don't know if that's the sort of attitude or the bush league kind of stuff you want to bring to a, a final. Uh, after we've seen, you know, so, some of the comebacks this year have been, you know, outrageously high margins. Yeah, I think so, over, you know, I think we looked at it over 30 points previously was about a 97% chance of winning, dropped down to about 92% nowadays. So, yeah, mm, you can come Still back. high, obviously. Um, but I would never, I wouldn't be counting my chickens that early, I don't think. Mm, easy to say now that they lost. Of course. But, uh, I'm sure it happens quite a bit. All right, let's get cracking into the main body of the podcast. There were four epic finals. Not all went the way that we expected. Uh, in fact, my big call was I thought all the lower seeds would defeat. How'd you go with that? No, one out of four. It was a big uh, call, though. It was <laughs> a big call. We're, so so your big call's done, and yeah. Christian and I are still alive. Okay, yeah. Well, the tattoo, we could still get there with the pies. Yeah. So they're going to need to win three in a row now. Well, they could do it. No, they can't. Okay. Well, we'll get there. Four epic finals, not all the way, uh, all went the way we expected. Richmond lost the Lions despite reaching the magical 100 marker first. Yeah, well, um, first, I actually looked that up. So, first final for both teams to hit 100 points since 2015. So, it was a, yeah, it was a high score. And that's what we predicted going into the game that we they did. were the two best scoring teams. We thought, you know, I had that feeling that, okay, one of the teams is going to go ultra defensive to try, probably try to. Uh, get some sort of ascendancy early, but it just didn't happen. They just went all out attack all night, which was great for a mutual fan to watch. Excellent to watch. Uh, Swans, too good for the Demons at the MCG. 78,000 people at the G. Mm. Uh, first final that the Ds have played in since, obviously, the grand final they won in Perth. So fans were keen to get down. Unfortunately, a bit of a disappointing evening for them. Uh, the first SCG prelim since 1996 is coming up. The Cats almost out-magpied the Magpies at times. Uh, and Frio, obviously, as we said before, came back from 41 points down. What, what, was the the best, what was the best watch? Well, this is what I kind of wanted to ask you guys, because I think on Thursday night, I'm like, oh, nothing's going to top this. Um, Friday was really, really good. The third term in particular was just incredible footy. And while the margin blew out slightly, uh, it was still an excellent contest. Mm. Obviously, 90,000 at the G, Pies and the Cats. Epic. Like, you, you, if you want to be anywhere in the world on a, on a Saturday afternoon... You want to be in Melbourne at the MCG. Geelong and Collingwood feels like one of the more underrated rivalries of the last 10, 12 years. It's in finals in particular. We had Rowan Connolly look at this, and he wrote a column this week that was basically saying that. That, you know, they played grand finals, they played qualifying mm. finals, elimination finals. Um, they've had some epic, uh, just regular season games as yeah. well. There was one 
there was one game when they were both they'd both lost a, like a total of like three games for the year or something they met in round 22 the last round mm. um, and Geelong spanked Collingwood by like 100 points or 90 something points and it was just foreshadowed the the, the Geelong grand final win yep. that year but they've had some epic encounters and so it almost leaves me to believe that unfortunately it's the Dockers and the Dogs that was a comeback aside and the quality of the comeback and the quality of the contest aside is maybe the fourth seed for most watchable yeah which is kind of crazy to say. I think, yeah, arguably one of the best rounds of finals footy we've seen. Yeah, really tough to pick the, the best game. Um, probably Collingwood and Geelong takes it. But a big part of it is the crowd. I mean, we kind of touched on it last week and it would almost seem like it was wrong. The fact we were saying it's going to be, you know, this weekend we're going to see fi- uh, finals back at the MCG for the first time since uh, the 2019 grand final. And I thought, nah, that can't be right. And um, I know we're... we're Melbourne-based, and we're a little Victorian-centric, but I think footy fans all over the country will say it is. There's something about watching a final at the MCG when it's full, which is which is pretty special. Yeah, hundred percent. And Christian, you you would have kept a close eye on the finals. Anything interesting sort of pop up from any of these games that you you look at and you go, ah, that was definitely a good week of footy. Yeah, well, again, going back to the the average margin of the round was just over ten points um, across the four games, so it's the second lowest. Um, average margin across a four-week final series. The only one lower was uh, the first week of 2020. So shortened games, mm. we had a smaller margin. and Scrappier uh, kind of contests. Not yeah. the 1994 round Roko was talking about. <laughs> well, that's actually third, so he's got a great memory. So, we're, <laughs> well so <done>. again, <laughs> 20, 2020, the one I'm talking about, the shortened season was nine points per game. We're at 10 and a half uh, points per game margin this week and 14 points per game in the first week of 1994. So, yeah, Rowan's memory spot on. Um yeah, as I said, we again sort of foreshadowed this a bit early, but I didn't realise till after all the results were done. Look back on it, probably just the little one that we sort of looked at is the teams had the wood on their opposition, and all four of those teams uh, ended up. Well, sorry, Brisbane was and Brisbane Richmond was a bit of a uh, reversal. Brisbane had a little bit of a wood up at Gabba, but mm. um, yeah, sort of said Frio had won six of the past eight in Perth against the Dogs. They won that. Sydney are now, I think, they're at. 17 of their past 20 against Melbourne that they've won, or 16 of their past 20 in a draw. So it's just a massive one. Oh, uh, Geelong's got the wood over Collingwood in recent times. Um, and yeah, so it was just sort of coming back to, yeah, once it all got done and dusted and it was an exciting round of footy, I looked back and went, well, yeah, we sort of said all four of those teams did sort of have a slight advantage over their opposition coming into it. No, just if you ever need another reason to tune into the ESPN footy pod, uh, we are predicting things. And Jake. Speaking of, at some point we'll be releasing our special Brownlow pod, little foreshadow there as well. Yeah, uh, probably, you know, where are we? Probably next late week next week, I would mm. say. Yeah, very excited. Some some nice things in the works there. And and listeners from last year, I actually went back and, and gave it a listen. And uh, I hope people people listened and, <laughs> and put a few cheeky wages on because they would have done quite nicely. So yeah, <laughs> stay tuned. We'll, uh, we'll have some nice stuff next week. We'll get there. Uh, when you talk about finals though, you talk about uh, a, a couple of things. Firstly, you know, everyone says that pressure goes up in finals and, and, and the pressure of games. And, and thankfully, we now have a, a way of actually measuring that through the pressure factor that Champion Data does. Uh, and Christian, you found it's really true. I mean, pressure does in fact go up in finals. Yeah, it was way up this week. I mean, it was at 190 almost as the average and 181 across the home and away season. So, again, every team stepped up and sort of applied more pressure than they did across the home and away season. Um, I think it goes down as, again, I think it was the second um, sort of highest pressure factor in a round of finals since 2010 when we first started taking pressure. And 
Again, don't want to harp on again. We spoke about it last week that Geelong, that was the one thing for Geelong for me was they hadn't played much pressure during the home and away season. How were they, you know, I wasn't sort of, we know they got the experience and they've played big games, but it was sort of how they're going to handle three or four weeks of hot pressure. Well, they've ticked one game off. Um, and again, looking at the Frio Bulldogs thing, if you look at, you know, across the whole weekend, the Bulldogs pressure in the second half was down to 164. So I'm talking about 190 and 200s for mm-hmm. most teams. You can really see in that second half the doggies' pressure is what fell away the most to sort of let Frio back in the game. I think a lot of people think pressure uh, sort of equates to lower scoring games, and I imagine there's some correlation there. But the four games here, we didn't see a super low scoring game. Obviously, we had the 106 to 104 on Thursday night, but it, but all the other games felt like a pretty average scoring game. Which so when you take in the fact that it's highly contested footy, massive amounts of pressure. But you're still getting that scoring. I think for the most, for most footy fans, that's sort of the perfect game. They're the perfect games that we're looking for when we talk about what we want as a spectacle. Mm. Well, I think Lee Matthews was the one who came out during the the week or just after the weekend and said it was was it the best round of finals footy we'd seen. Um, so you know, not quite yeah. in the Roco camp of, of yeah. I mean, I, I, but it's yeah. Like, if if someone with the with the gravitas of Matthews is coming out and saying, "Hey, this might have been the best round of footy that we've seen in some time," like you kind of take that and think, "Yeah, maybe." But the other thing you, you think of pressure when it comes to finals, but something else when it comes to finals is is taking the big moments, and it really did seem like a round of big moments on Thursday night. There was the Tom Lynch arc moment. Um, which you know, it's it's not going to be a discussion that goes away because and then nor should it. Yeah, it was it was a moment that that clearly, if it had gone the other way, you think Richmond are probably safe and they and they win the game. And and you talk about umpires not causing you know one team to win or lose. Um, but but in this case, the technology, depending on where you're where you sit in terms of the argument of of whether the overturning of the of the of the goal call was mm. the correct one or not may well have had an impact on the actual result of the game. Oh, of course it did. It it 100% had an, an impact on the result of the game. And if I was a Richmond supporter, I'd be absolutely filthy. So you would you think that it was not enough evidence to overturn? Of course there wasn't. But do you think it was a behind? I I think... I would probably... If, if a gun to my head, I'd probably say it was a behind. But, yeah. but the fact that it was called a goal, there was not enough evidence with what we could see to overturn it. But they overturned it. So because... Let's just say that it was a behind if you if you if you really actually yeah. got the details. Say it was a behind, but it was called a goal and it was overturned. Would you prefer that Brisbane are quote unquote robbed because they have been the the correct result has not occurred, but the correct process has been followed? Or would you prefer the other way around and have the correct result, but the process probably wasn't followed as well as it could have been? I think it all comes back to the fact that the arc and the camera angles and the frame rates and, and everything like that is just dreadful at Inadequate. the moment. Yeah, it's not good enough for a not professional for sporting league. Um, so I want... Look at cricket. Cricket is a fr- cricket frustrates me a little bit too where... And the late, great Shane Warne used to bang on about this all the time during the summer where he would say the same ball can't be both out and not out d- depending on the, the, umpire's, the call. umpire's call. So the umpire's call is fine when it's inconclusive. It's it, But we shouldn't have the vast majority be inconclusive. We should be able to tell whether that ball was a behind or a goal. Yeah. that That's, to me, the most obvious thing, and we couldn't. And the fact that we overturned it where we couldn't tell one way or the other, I think, was the wrong decision. And in the end, 
it may well have cost Richmond the game. Well, that's what was the perfect storm. Brisbane did go end to end and kick that goal straight from the kick in. So you talk about, you know, maybe a, a behind gets kicked and the ball goes back to the centre. Well, Brisbane might have been able to score from the centre bounce, blah, blah, blah. But it was amazing that in terms of it was controversial that it was overturned. But then, as you know, talk about scores from kick ins. I think it's about. 3% of your overall yeah. score comes from kick-ins. You usually score from about 9% of kick-ins to so 9 of 100 kick-ins you score from. Brisbane went coast to coast and sort of scored a goal, yeah. which again just, just adds to that level of sort of... So they yeah, won it. ...how important that moment was. They won it, but... And as you say, you the, if if it's given a goal, what is it then? Does it, is it eight points then? Yeah. Um, with two minutes to go mm. or less? I can't quite remember. Then, yeah, you don't know. Who knows? Maybe they win two centre clearances and kick two goals and they win anyway, but... You would say Richmond are... Uh, They're not Collingwood. Exactly. As in the Lions. They wouldn't be able to sort of pull out two quick ones like that and, and, and force a winner. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, and look, that, that game had other big moments too. I mean, you look at the Danaher free kick, um, the, the push in the back where uh, if that hadn't have been paid, Brisbane kick a goal and, and probably hit the front at that point. Then he gets the goal. Um, you know, five Tigers go for the same ball. Uh, and there was just a miscommunication. There was not one on the line. Three came in from the side of the pack. Um the Ruckman was involved and, and just sort of didn't want to punch it through. There was mm. a comedy of errors there, but these are the moments that can decide finals. Yeah. Two players I want to talk about in that game. One guy who I think has only just started to get the recognition he deserves, and it sounds crazy because he's a Brownlow medalist and could soon be a two-time Brownlow medalist, is obviously Lockie Neal. His game was exceptional. I don't know what numbers you have, Christian, if anything, on his on his game, but 39 disposals, I think 18 ground ball gets, 21 contested possessions, 15 clearances. He was just, he was the difference. The cleanest player on the ground. In a tight, best player by a country mile on the ground. And it's funny you notice the great players, and not not like the 25, 26 best, but the the top five, seven players, they're so good and they're so clean in finals. And he he was exceptional. But on the other side of things, Shea Bolton, like we all love him. We all talk about the potential. But I'm sick of people telling me that he's a top three, top four player in the league. He's not. He he's just not. You know, he he he's had ten touches in a final. Yes, he kicked a couple of goals, but his impact is is minimal, and he and he won't he won't have that impact throughout a whole contest. There's probably probably been two or three games I've seen where he's been that impactful throughout the game and that's what he needs to be able to do it's not a criticism of him because he's a fantastic player and can ascend into that top three or four but right now he's not no uh, we we discussed this in previous weeks on the podcast he's probably a top 10 most watchable player oh he, when uh, he's on it's, un- in terms it's unreal of, in terms of watchable and highlights and his level of skill when he's got the ball in his hand i'm not even gonna i i, I could make the case he's the best he's fantastic to watch but it's the consistency which lacks, and then you look at someone like Neil that did it f- throughout the game, and I believe he didn't go off the ground after quarter time, mm. which is just you got to take your hat off to him. He he, he just he just said we're we're not losing this game. Uh, Christian, I don't know what the champion data numbers say, but was Stephen May the best person on the field against uh, the Swans? Yeah, it was a really hard one because it probably um, I can't remember if he was on top of rankings as well, but it was, I think the three. Best players on that gra- on the ground, you know, stats using rankings and ratings were all Melbourne players, and Sydney were quite even. Even looking at their score involvements, I mean, Clayton Oliver had ten score involvements for Melbourne. A couple of blokes had seven. No one had more than five for the Swans. It was just, 
It was one of those, you know, uh, junior footy when they put it in the newspaper, you know, best on team effort. Team effort. So it was a, it was a really weird <laughs> one was, in terms of trying really to pick noticeable. a standout individual Sydney player who won the game and try to give them, the, you know, if we're talking coaches' votes or the, the Gary Ayers medal to win the 10 votes. It was sort of, there was no clear standout for I, them. I found that a lot with Sydney, um, not to get back on Brownlow, but, but I found Sydney one of the harder teams to pick their best players because... They really Sydney and Collingwood, the two teams that really week in week out, it usually is a real team effort. There, there's eight players that you can say are a chance to be the best three or four players on the ground. Well, if I told you that you know in a final at the MCG against the reigning premier, um, in front of seventy five thousand fans, and Buddy goes goalless, you probably say in years gone by that Sydney doesn't win that game. You definitely would. And instead, you get contributions from Will Haywood. You get contributions from Sam Reed. Callum Sinclair kicks a goal. Um, like, it was just this... this and, and Rowan was at the game for ESPN and wrote a column and just said the evenness, and it's exactly what Christian said, was just so noteworthy for that side. And again, but there were moments. There was the Robbie Fox smother where when the D's were pushing and, and he just he had a, a couple of efforts in a row which you know you look yeah. at the defensively and you think that just that G's up the whole team where in that was it the third quarter where they had that it was shades of the 2021 20, grand final where they just I think Sparrow kicked a goal then Oliver kicked a goal Fritch, Sparrow, Oliver and it might have even been the same three that kicked goals in that grand final if I'm not mistaken they kicked like three goals in, in quick succession again and I thought because that was, I said last week, I think Melbourne, this is the game that could blow out Melbourne win. Mm. I think I said 30, 35 points. Mm. And I thought, here we go. This is where it's happening. Full credit to Sydney. We've been talking about how resilient Collingwood has been all year. Sydney, the same. Even contributions, not afraid of the moment, and a great resilience. And I just love the fact they they have such a perfect mix of the young and old, Sydney, that experience and that youth, and the youth is standing up. And and who's to say they can't go all the mm. way? And it wasn't just Buddy who had a down match. We talked about someone like Chad Warner, who we expected to have a you know breakout final series. He probably wasn't at his best on no, Friday night. Isaac Heaney still, was yeah. pretty quiet. So so some of their better players didn't stand up. I thought Isaac Heaney had probably three or four of the worst fumbles I've ever seen. It was clearly I think he, I think he was struggling to see out of that eye with his swollen nose and things like that. But it was almost yeah, yeah late late in the game it was sort of like well you got to get off because yeah. you clearly can't see the. But there was one that bounced in front of him. He almost dropped it out of bounds, but. Yes, yeah, so, so even again, Mills and Parker were probably their two main inside players. But as I said, then there was Hickey. It was I looked at Jake Lloyd in the first half. Thought he's not. I didn't think he was damaging with his disposals. He kicked that outstanding mm. goal that was almost a sealer. Can't so he stood last up in time the I've end. Seen Jake Lloyd kick a goal. I think I said Cal Sinclair kicked a goal before. I meant Tom Hickey. I'm thinking of Cal Sinclair because he announced his retirement throughout the week. That's all right. We'll, we'll let that one slide. <laughs> uh, I thought Rowbottom was really good too. They're, they're just we've 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 said it three or four times now. Even contributions and. There are a lot of teams in the competition that you'd say, you know, three of your four or five best players have a really down game. You're not winning, especially against a team like Melbourne, who most of their best players played well. So, yeah, look, it was a phenomenal effort. And now, you, as I said before, you start thinking ahead to, to where they'll, they'll, they'll play a, a prelim at the SCG, which is going to be epic. Sell that crowd. And you think they'll be... Fa- whoever they're playing, they're going to be favourite to win. They're going to be, they'll be the favourite to be in a grand final, and then who knows? Mm. Not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but it's 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 amazing to think how much how quickly things can turn around from where we were 
18 months ago. Yeah, two years ago with the Swans. Absolutely. Uh, The Cats and the Pies had the moments too. We talked about Gary Rowan, the mark. And we talked about... The drop. He, well, yes, the drop, but also the mark in itself. I mean, he was... (laughs) He was battered in the media, to be fair, this week. He was, yeah. Uh, and, And probably unfairly. I think Chris Scott sort of summed it up on Footy Classified when he said that Gary Rowan isn't one of the Cats' top five, ten, maybe even fifteen players. He's a contributor at times who can have really good output, and you think, why isn't this guy a complete superstar? But he's the kind of guy that can have his thirteen disposals and kick three goals and have the impact. And it's exactly what he had on Saturday. And the moment where he took the grab was fifty out and just said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna give this a go, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna ride this one home." And he nailed his chance, yeah. uh, and then was involved in that final, final goal passage of play as well. Look, you've got to give credit and kudos to him because he would not have been able to escape the media scrutiny this week, and he delivered. No, you do. You're, you're 100% right, and I'm only joking about the drop mark, but <laughs> he, uh, he he's a player... He's in a very rare group of players that can say, I've kicked two goals to win games after the siren. Yes. And he's now he can now add that one in the dying stages of a final from 50. That was like that Tom Hawkins Shades goal. of Tom Hawkins. Yeah. Um, one thing I've always said about Gary Rowan is he is a fantastic set shot for goal. One of the best in the competition. Always been a very accurate, very good kick. It's just been that consistency. And it's and so when, when Chris Scott says, well, he's only our 15th best player, I say, well, I don't agree. Because then he has a game where like this and people will say, oh, maybe he's their 6th, 7th best player. It's like, but then he won't do this again for a month. If he's doing this week in, week out, Geelong's forward line is just ridiculous. <laughs> But he doesn't, and that's the thing. So we'll see how we see how he goes uh, next week. Mm. Um, but but good on him. I mean, I tell you what, though, the thing I had to, I did laugh a little when he dropped the mark, but he recovered, got the handball off to Holmes. Holmes kicked the goal. He laid on the grass like he didn't get up for like a good three or four seconds, like heading the grass. I reckon he was just thinking, and he would know it. He would know it. He he's not a, he's not an idiot. He would hear hear it. He would know that he probably hasn't performed in finals, and. He knew what was coming if a defender happened to be back there and, and mopped that up. And, and Collingwood but goes he got coast to coast. And yeah, he got away with it. <laughs> Finds Jamie Elliott after the siren or something. Yeah. It, was, yeah. it, was very, it was Jack Darling-esque. Yeah. Uh, and even then, we talk about the, the last game being, you know, possibly the, you know, the fourth-ranked one, but the, the Dockers and the Dogs, there were a couple of moments again in this. You look at Jai Amos playing his, what, his second game? Uh, mm. Misses a couple of early ones. You think, well, that's not good for the, the confidence post. for the 19-year-old. Ends up kicking two goals and, and, and like, good goals as well. Um, late in the game, Nathan O'Driscoll doesn't miss. He's a sharp shooter. Gets it, gets Christian's it from... Christian's man. Huh? Christian's X-Factor. I'm t- exactly right. And and as soon as he, he won a free kick in the pocket, you know, with not long left and needed to sort of kick it to seal it, and you think, he's just not going to miss this. Um, F- Michael Frederick's tackle... On Ed mm. Richards, just these moments would contribute to you know the the, the law and a sold out crowd at Optus yeah. Stadium. Everyone was going absolutely mental. The well, comeback. We, we speaking of tackles, we missed one from the the Neil tackle on Bolton. That that was just that was the that was the game. Yeah. Um, moments yeah. in finals. It, moments moments matter, and and yeah, the Freo one. I thought the the uh, the O'Driscoll. It was O'Driscoll. The tackle on Dunkley. Yeah. In the pocket when he kicked that goal, yeah, that was that was a that felt like a big shift at that point. Um, yeah, we can talk about this for for hours. Thank I mean, it was just unbelievable. Uh, well, it does mean so. We obviously had the four winners. There were four losers. Two of those are now gone. But there are a second chance for two of those teams, and it means that we're going to be on straight sets watch for a lot of these for for, for both of these clubs. You know, will the Pies be able to bounce back against the Dockers on Saturday night? 
And can the D's recover at home, to be fair, uh, and, uh, and and beat the Lions, who they've beaten twice this year, pretty comfortably as well? Um, Christian, anything to suggest that we can see a straight sets result this year? Yeah, again, it's always it's an interesting weekend, always the second weekend, because you've got you got a loser. You don't look confident. <laughs> well, again, because I, I, you sort of get this every year, that the winner is playing a loser in the second week of finals, and the winner's always the one they've run up always and about, about into and the, the loser, yeah. yeah. I feel like this one, if we start it, you know, from Friday, Melbourne, Brisbane, I don't think many people are sort of seeing it that way, are they? Like Brisbane, I think, are still a fair way off, uh, you know, competing with Melbourne in a lot of people's minds. And again, looking at the numbers, we know what Brisbane need to do to beat Melbourne. They did it in 2019 and 2020 when they beat Melbourne, but they just haven't been able to do it in recent, in the last three games. And it's, it's show up at the contest they've been beaten by almost 20 contested possessions each time the two wins previously that i was talking about they won the contested possessions by 27 uh against melbourne in late in 2019 they won by four in 2020 against them but yeah the last four games they've lost to melbourne they've all lost in the contested possession so lost at the source and just haven't been able to bring the pressure even but again looking at melbourne's strength and one uh, sorry brisbane's strength one would what they did on the weekend Scoring. They're the number one scoring team in the competition. They have the highest spread of goal individual goal kickers, so they average almost nine different goal kickers per game. They're the number one scoring for scoring a goal once inside fifty. So they have that potency. It hasn't stood up the last three times against Melbourne. But again, if Brisbane are going to win this game, they're going to have to win it with their offense. They're not going to win it. I don't think in the contest they're not going to win it by out pressuring Melbourne. Mm. They're just going to have to. And it, it sounds simple. They're just going to have to put the score on the scoreboard. And as Matt's big on, just just take their chances. I think, you know, inaccuracy. They don't want to be turning around after this game going, geez, if we had nailed two or three more of the shots, they're, they're really going to have to be on with their accuracy. Which has been their issue in finals in recent years. I mean, you've lamented so often that sometimes you can just be unlucky. A team like, you know, in, in previous years in finals, uh, Brisbane have been slightly inaccurate and other teams have been wildly accurate. Uh, and you look at the X scores and, and it just things don't add up and they end up losing and, and they're bounced out. So yeah, this is this is really crucial. But they've lost like they lost twice to Melbourne this year by sixty four and fifty eight points. So there's yep. a lot of recent history to uh, overcome. There's also the there's the Dane Zorko aspect of it all as well, and and the the fact that three weeks ago he was you know in a lot of hot water, and there's going to be a pressure on him. Do you mm. tag Lockie Neal? Do you do this? Like there's a lot of question marks surrounding this match that I'm really intrigued by, even though I don't think the Lions can get the job done. Yeah, uh, it's funny how one week, one weekend changes who has the most pressure on them. You know, going into last week, we were all saying, uh, I said myself, if Brisbane, Brisbane lose, this could be, this could alter the club. There could be mass changes, and I and I believe that would have happened had they lost. Now all of a sudden they win, they win a great tight game, they are back in a semi final, or in a semi. They haven't played a semi final, have they? Because they lose, or they got through that one to the prelim. So this is they're playing a semi final away from home at the MCG, where we know they've had their struggles. But playing Melbourne, a team now all of a sudden they're facing the prospect of going out in straight sets. So all of a sudden it feels like it's flipped, and the pressure's on Melbourne now. the The reigning premier started the season so well, mm. looked like it was a, a formality that they were going back to back, and now they face the prospect of having to win to avoid. Because that would be disastrous if they went out in straight sets too. So, I, I've i been sucked into Brisbane a couple of t- Both games this year, they've been belted. I've been... I've liked Brisbane's chances. And I'm going to look like an idiot if it happens three times. What's that saying? Fool me once. <laughs> yeah. But I just got this feeling that Brisbane might pull them. something out. 
Well, the the demons really struggled last week, and and credit to someone on Twitter, I cannot for the life of me remember who it was at the time, um, but there was a really great graphic that someone had put together about their entries inside fifty, and we talked about Melbourne and how in previous years they've been a high inside fifty team, but the quality of inside fifties had really struggled, uh, and they managed to kind of tighten it up a little bit last year on the way to the grand final win, and. Um, against Sydney, they just didn't get deep enough entries or good enough entries and good enough looks at goal, Christian. Yeah, so we measure uh, your sort of your land zone when you kick inside 50. So we've used 35 metres as deep and shallow. So getting it within 35 metres from goal from a kick outside of the 50, that's like a deep entry. Anything that lands outside of 35 metres from goal will be called a shallow entry. So across the home and away season, yeah, Melbourne had 48 kicks inside 50 per game. Um, 21 of those landed outside 35, so that's about 44%. So more than half of their kicks at least went into a deep entry. Against Sydney this week, it was 61% of their kicks were shallow entries, so almost you know 18% higher than their home and away average. So again, it is that ability to... Sydney were able to sort of make them kick from further back, which means you can't land it as deep in. And also having the two McCartan sort of camped out from goal probably forced Melbourne to try to hit a shorter target. But you're right, it probably... We've, we've spoken about Melbourne, how good they're back 50 is their forward 50 really relies you know they're probably the ninth or 10th best scoring uh, team once they get in there so they rely on the volume of entries and getting it deep and sort of getting those chances they just didn't get that run on we've talked about Brisbane and how defensively they've been a bit of a letdown this season perhaps they can look at that and just sort of think well if we can force the demons to either kick from further out as you say uh, and get those shallower entries or or have someone patrolling that back line and being able to either pick off or, or punch away or whatever it might be those balls they might be in with a chance to kind of at least keep the scores tighter a bit um you know they can score heavily because we know that they can and, and maybe as you say jack force an upset yeah um Thanks. i can see it happening i can see it happening Fair enough. but if we stand here in seven days time and melbourne's won by 52 points yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Wait for another. Anyone, I was going to say another empty promise somewhere <laughs> no, about a hundred episodes, all that sort of too, stuff. I got too many, too many um, <laughs> spinning plates in the air at the moment. Fair enough. Uh, Emlyn Brees on Twitter that was who uh, who had that that graph. It was um, really interesting. Uh, as for the other game, the Dockers and the Pies. See, this is fascinating because we've talked about the reversion to the mean for some time, Jake, we and have. how. The Pies can only be quote-unquote lucky for so long and they can only... like The stats will eventually say that they are... Where their percentage is, a 104% percentage in the regular season, is a 6th is a to 8th ranked team. So potentially, this is the closer matchup of the two um, uh, that's going to be on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. And Frio are uh, potentially a better chance of being the, the team able to cause a straight sets upset. Um, because... Th- they're, well, I mean, you look at the Pies and, and how they've been able to win games this year, take their chances. We talked about this. Fremantle took their chances against the Dogs. They started the game zero goals three, kicked 11 goals four after that. If Frio can nail their chances against the Pies, I can see that being an upset. How many games they played at the MCG this year, Frio? Just the one against Melbourne. Yeah. They won that, that was the one that they were behind and they came back and... and Dominated the second yeah. half. Yeah. Yep. That, you can't underestimate how important that must be. For a team that doesn't play at the MCG, an intangible sort of we've mm. we've played there, we've won, we beat the reigning premier. Yeah, um, it was a, that was not, a night game too. Not just beat them; they were they I looked think. like they were going to get blown out, and then just they just it was a different game after halftime, and that was the game where they put attention into Clayton Oliver, who had dominated the first half at James Aish, and then they they just looked. That was the best they've looked all year. That game, I think that was when people because Christian was pretty hot on on the Dockers earlier in the year. And I think that was the game where people start to think, hang on a minute, 
this team's pretty good because that was their first loss, Melbourne. Yeah, that was after the end. So, um, yeah, I didn't. I, I knew they hadn't played many, but I didn't know they'd only played the one. That that they'll take a lot of confidence in that, and I. I think no Taylor Adams. Mm. So this is the thing. The things that would, had fallen into place for Collingwood over the course of the year, um, you know, Essendon fluffing that chance, hitting the post, Collingwood going coast to coast. Like all these little moments, the Blues, you know, not putting the game away when they had the chances. <laughs> like now Taylor Adams is out. Jordan Degoe is in doubt as yep. well. The things that, you know, they had a bit of luck on their side. Maybe the luck wheel is starting to turn a little. And um, yeah, Frio. You, you just never know with Frio. And, and the way that they play the game as well, Christian, would sort of suggest that they may be able to get the best of Collingwood in certain aspects. Yeah, it's a really weird one. I mean, if you say the word counter-attack teams, you think of teams that score very heavily from back half and things like that. So when I say counter-attack, it's not that the way these two teams sort of play. They don't sort of play that slingshot footy like we've seen in Sydney, but they are counter-punch teams in terms of neither of them need to dominate possession or territory really to win games. They've both shown that they can sort of, you know, scrounge, especially Collingwood have won, you know, we talked about winning with 10, 15 fewer inside 50s, 50 fewer contested possessions in some of the games. So they don't need to dominate possession uh, to win the game. And the same as Frio. So it's a very interesting game. It's sort of like the last four times these two teams have played, the team that's won the clearances has won the game, uh, which is one of the you know quick sort of stats to look at. But they haven't necessarily won the contested possessions as well. So a lot of this, I think, is going to be played based on territory. So looking at Frio in wins, they sort of score about thirty-five or thirty points per game from forward half turnovers in wins. So that's they get the ball forward, the opposition wins it back, but Frio were able to chop it off again and score. In losses, that drops down to fifteen. And if you look at Collingwood in wins and losses, the same sort of thing. The opposition usually scores under 15 points per game from forward half turnovers when Collingwood wins. When Collingwood loses, they usually concede about five or six goals from forward half turnovers. So Frio to sort of win the, you know, I'd expect Frio to win the contested possessions the way these two teams' profile sets up. If Frio can lock it forward and actually get a score without Collingwood sort of rebounding and being able to get into their half, that's going to be the key for Frio. But again, Collingwood do so well from scoring from back half that they'll almost be happy for it to be played in Frio's half for a while as long as they can get those end-to-end scores going. So it's a very intriguing matchup in terms of each team's strength is counteracted by the other team's strength as well. Is there merit in Jake potentially looking at, you know, we talk about tagging and, and looking after some of the better players in the league. Collingwood's halfback weapons. You look at Nick Dacos. Is it worth putting a bit of attention onto him? Yep. Scott Pendlebury. Sort of saying, clamping down and saying, we'll put a bit of extra pressure on you so you might fluff a kick or you might turn a ball over in the front half. And I think Freo, without having to put an individual standing side by side, Nick Dacos, that's what they excel in. Switkowski, Lockie Shields, Frederick mm. now. They they do do forward half pressure really, really well. Yeah, We've seen someone like Nick Dacos when he's given a license to do whatever he wants and no one's gone near him dominate a game. And that's the beauty of playing at half back where you can. And he, and he is such a beautiful ball user. And he just slices his way through and sets up all the Collingwood attacks the times in which they have put a bit of attention into him, all of a sudden those mid-30 disposal games and a high kick and high efficiency games drop down. They sort of halve. So I think they do. And, and as Christian said, they've got four or five guys that they are... They're, they're, they're def- their forward line might not be... They might not have the household names, but they do a great job of locking down on the def- on the defensive players of the opposition that look to attack. Yeah, I was going to say, we were talking about the small forwards and the pressure forwards, but another uh, player that's done well against Collingwood this year is key forwards. So looking across the season at what they've done for key forwards, I think they conceded nine goals in two games to Jeremy Cameron. They conceded six to Tom Lynch and Charlie Curnow across two games. 
let Nick Larkey kick five, Taylor Walker kick five against them. So, but again, you look at Frio's team list and they're, they're playing with the key forwards of Rory Lobb, who has, you know, we talked about three or four weeks ago, kicked yeah. the four that he, against Bulldogs. But yeah, Griffin Logue hasn't sort of kicked a big bag of goals. If one of those two can kick, you know, three or four early on, then yeah, watch out for, for Collingwood because again, they've, they've struggled to handle key forwards mm. this year. Uh, and again, take your chances. You might only get sort of 18, 20 shots at goal, but if you can nail them and put a score on the board, uh, you're half a chance. I thought for the most part, week one, everyone was pretty accurate. Yeah. For the most part, for yeah. For the most part. Yeah. Got a tip for Friday night? Did we tip both games? Did we tip the first one? We didn't yet, but we're going to oh, tip sorry, them both Friday now. Night, yeah. um, well, I said Brisbane, didn't I? Yeah. I can't tip Brisbane, can I? <laughs> Why I not? hope someone hasn't stopped the podcast halfway through and thought, geez, I'm going to put that. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go Brisbane by a point. I think the streaks are due to end. The MCG hoodoo, um, the Melbourne hoodoo, the finals hoodoo. There's lots of things that are, that are going against them. And I just, I just don't believe in those streaks lasting forever. As great as Melbourne is, and like Christian was saying before, we always look at the team that wins an elimination final as better than the team that loses a qualifying final. Melbourne should win, but look, I think I think three to one for Brisbane. I think yeah, I think they're better than that. Yeah, again, the the weather forecast probably tips me even more further towards Melbourne. If it's going to rain, it's really going to be a contested ground ball game. Brisbane's aren't going to get that clean scoring, so I'll probably go Melbourne by. 20 points. Mm, yeah, I think I'll go the D's by three goals. I think that makes a lot of sense. Saturday night, can you see the Dockers upsetting the Pies? Mm, I think Collingwood will win. I do think Collingwood will win that game, but I'll probably go about, yeah, it seems like it's an obvious one to go about seven or eight points. Uh, I think just what we were saying, I think Freo just lack that consistent key forward to really trouble them. Um, and that might be the difference in the end in probably a game that will be Another low-scoring game, I think. I'd love to make a big call and say this game's going extra time. Oh. Yeah, you heard it here <laughs> I first. But it. I, I, seriously, the more I look at it, it is—it's going to come down to the wire. I, I seriously Rain's hope so. You always forecast. hope for that as a neutral supporter watching a final. But <laughs> I, I seriously—I I can't tip a winner, but I will say that it will be within a goal. Whoever wins this game, love oh, it. I'll was go the, the last, Dockers. Was then. the last extra time the Luke Shuey? Yeah, Port yeah. West Coast. Looks likely on uh, Thursday night for a while. It did. Looked likely on Saturday okay, afternoon yes. for a while. Uh, yeah, I'll go I'll go the Dockers. I think, yeah, maybe Rory Lobb is due a, a bag. Maybe maybe the Dockers can pull, you know, no Drew School to kick the winner yeah. with about a minute left from Here, 50 out on the boundary. Here's one. Will Rory Lobb uh, get another fresh peroxide in before, before it was, the game? It was very fresh, wasn't it, on the yeah. weekend? <laughs> uh, well, they won, so maybe yeah. there's something something in that. Or maybe you don't. Maybe it's like those things where you don't change what works, so it's <laughs> yeah. just going to fade. What out. do the hockey players do? They just have the playoff beard yeah, and they don't grow, shave until... the playoff beard, yeah. <laughs> uh, is the hype justified or is it hyperbole? We've got to wrap things up pretty quickly, but uh, Jack Ginevan should have been suspended for his chicken wing tackle on Paddy Dangerfield. Um... It was missed by the MRO, apparently. Firstly, is that good enough? No, it's not good enough that it was missed. I mean, what what's the point of the MRO? To, to, to pick up on these things and adjudicate. To punish the outcome instead I'm, of the I'm not, I'm not. I'm not totally disappointed that he didn't get a penalty for it. But yeah, it certainly should have been cited. Did he dive for that, uh, that mark when Zach Guthrie intercepted? He didn't dive, but he exaggerated the contact. Uh, What's but, the difference? But the contact, well, he, there was minimal contact, which he then propelled so he threw himself, himself forward. forward. Yeah. So he dived. But there was contact, so it's a free kick. 
Is that not? Is that not? You how are it allowed works? to make contact as a defender. You can. Yeah. You're, allowed to, you're allowed to rest your hand on his back. They, so I don't think there's a. Yeah, I don't think there was a definite free kick there. You got uh, it. I, I, I would have. I think that was a free kick. But but overall, the umpiring was. I thought the umpiring was pretty good. Yeah, and it should be. We have our better umpires in finals, um, and I think the umpiring for four games was really good, considering they were tight and um, highly contested games. Uh, the demons must tag Lockie Neal. Christian, any thoughts? Again, probably n- no. They they can go <laughs> I again. Agree. Like big, they've got Oliver, they've got Petrarch, they've got their own midfield that can. And again, I'm sort of predicting that it's going to be wet, and the midfield contested ball is going to play a big part in this. Who cares if Lockie Neal gets twenty five thirty because he doesn't have that run with partner next to him that's going to get another 15 or 10 he's going to get 25 and the next most is going to be 8 so I think Melbourne are one team that can just go and say no Oliver, Viney Brayshaw, Petrarca you go and win your own ball and beat them that way the Lockie Neal got 46 disposals in the qualifying final last year against the D's had 20 clearances and, and all this sort of other yeah, stuff they was... lost by 5 goals so I mean it just like one man's influence but can't always but, but that's not that's not a knock on him. That's what what Christian's saying. He doesn't have the support. If you're the reigning premier, you back your game style and your players in to deliver the goods and don't worry about what the other team's doing. Do you think Damien Hardwick is regretting right now not putting any attention into him throughout that whole contest? Yeah, I think he would be. But there's so, other so, things hang, that he so, would be... Yeah, so if Brisbane go and win this game and Lockie Neal has 46 or 40 or whatever and has the same performance that he put in in week one... Mm-hmm. Do you then say, well, they made a mistake? It's easy to it's easy to back your team when you win and say, oh, we back our midfield. But then when you lose and say, oh, you should have tagged him. So which one is it? I, I think someone like James Harms, if he's in the team, why is he not going to and putting some attention on Lockie Neal? I think that's crazy. Yeah. he's, well. he's the, where, Whereas if, if Brisbane want to do it back to Melbourne, well, Melbourne have options. That's the beauty of Melbourne. They've got, they've got Viney, they've got Oliver, they've got Petrarca, they've got Brayshaw, who's now playing more some more time in the midfield. They've got more players that can do it whereas Brisbane feel at the moment it really feels like a, a bit of a one man show yeah fair enough at footy tips on Twitter maybe you can let us know would you tag Lockie Neal or not uh, big games this week um, and we'll be back next week to recap everything we'll be back soon as well for the Brownlow preview which I can tell you now Jake has been prepared beyond all measure for any preparedness that he's ever had for this podcast times it by 10 because he's ready to go for this Brownlow special when well, we you're release getting, that you're getting zero if you times it by 10 because I really don't prepare that much for the normal <laughs> one <laughs> Uh, good stuff Christian thanks for joining us Uh, Jake good to speak with you as always to everyone at home we will speak to you in the next episode listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN footy pod wherever you get your podcasts